Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast. My name is Asevan Bailey, and joining me today is Ori Benatar. The international break has concluded, and we are returning to the warm embrace of club football. Ori, what do you think about the most recent international break? I thought it was pretty interesting. I liked the Nations League. It brought some good competitive games, and I think the team showed that they're going to take this competition seriously. I mean, you look at just some of the score lines we saw in League A. I mean, to get two six nothing, Switzerland beating Iceland six nil, and then Spain massive win yesterday against Croatia six nil, just shows that these teams are taking this competition seriously because it's not just winning another trophy. It's also having that fallback in League A, especially to you know, win your group, and if you might miss qualification Euro 2020, you could potentially get that second chance. That's huge because, remember, one team from each of these leagues is going to have to play in a playoff around November, December time of 2019 before the Euro 2020 draw to determine those last four spots. So the teams are taking it seriously. The matches were good. The friendly matches were okay. We had some very interesting results in the Africa Cup of Nations qualifying. Um, big fan of the first international break since the World Cup. Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty cool. I like the Nations League a lot. I thought the games in general were a lot of fun. I think the game that truly, you know, showed me that this competition is going to be just fun in general for any kind of international break was probably the Sweden versus Turkey match, which ended in a 3-2 victory for the Turks. Um, I thought, you know, that that's a, you know, a group B or league B kind of uh, competition or game. And, you know, these are the kind of matches that we would ignore in a normal international break kind of, you know, it's a friendly, who cares? It's just, it doesn't matter. But watching how these players are really trying hard, the, uh, the Turkish team were down two goals. Uh, they were able to storm back and win the match in Stockholm. I thought it just showed the promise of this competition. It makes me feel that, you know, if this is the worst version of the Nations League we're going to get and that it's going to improve with every subsequent international break and every, you know, edition of this competition, this is going to be great. It might, you know, there, there have been talks that this could be, you know, uh, revolutionizing the game of soccer. And I, I wouldn't be shocked that in a few years, you know, the Nations League becomes really popular and maybe they incorporate the worldwide Nations League where they take the best teams from every continent and they just do a small tournament that's similar to the World Cup. But, you know, it's because of Nation League winners. I know that FIFA's already investigating whether to create a competition like this. I think it's going to be great. And I think, I think this was very promising to see you know you had a lot of great games like England versus Spain was a great game France Netherlands was fun you know as I mentioned Sweden Turkey even the smaller you know countries like Ukraine Czech Republic was really exciting and even in group D you had teams like Kosovo finally getting a result and helping their program improve by playing teams that are of closer to their quality so I think it was a wholehearted success and I, I actually I'm pretty excited for the next international break to see how these results uh, change and whether or not we get a different kind of winner or who's going to definitely get relegated right and we only have less than a month to wait until that next international break but in between that time we get more premier league we get the champions league and the europa league kicking off so exciting times to be a soccer fan i mean in league d just looking at the groups a majority of the favorites have not been doing too well and uh, particularly looking at group uh, d3 Azerbaijan, probably the best team out of the four between Kosovo, Faroe Islands, Malta, and Azerbaijan. They're the best, the Azeris, but they only got two points in their first two matches. And then you look at the fourth group in League D, Armenia did get a win, but Macedonia pick up two victories. And 15 of the 16 teams in League D have never made the European Championships. The only one that's ever made it was Latvia when they made it in 2004. 
one of those 16 teams in League D is going to be in Euro 2020, which is just such a cool thing to to conceptualize that we could get someone like Luxembourg, Georgia, Belarus, Macedonia, maybe even Kosovo playing at Euro 2020 um, in two years' time. So, uh, but I thought the big headline, though, Esteban, from the Nations League has to be the poor performances of Italy. Late draw against Poland, lose to Portugal. Italy has some serious work to do. Yeah, I mean, Roberto Mancini was an interesting selection, to say the least, as the manager of the Azzurri. And while he is a talented manager and he has a lot of pedigree, he won the title, of course, for Man City in 2011, pretty famously. Um, His team doesn't seem to have an identity. They haven't been able to properly use Jorginho. Balotelli had a terrible game against Poland, against Portugal. They weren't really able to create anything. Um, And it's not as if Italy has bad players. I mean, Insigne is a great player. Jorginho is a very good player. Uh, Verratti, you know, he's a good player. Balotelli on his day can be a very devastating striker. Immobile, of course, is one of the best strikers in Serie A, but... I don't know. It's like there's not a lot of youth that's coming into this team and performing at a high level immediately. I mean, you know, you've had players like Donnarumma in the setup for a couple years now, but he's still he's still learning on the job. And it's very strange to me to see an Italian team at such a low point in their national team history. And I'm not entirely sure if this current new generation of Italian players is really going to elevate the national team by Euro 2020. I mean, in Euro 2016, Antonio Conte took that team all the way to the quarterfinals, and they were really good during that tournament but I think that was the last legs of a pretty great generation that was coming through the ranks and I'm I'm really not certain that this Italian team is going to be any good and I'm 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 worried that they might not even qualify for Euro 2020 if and maybe fall into the route that the Netherlands has gone in the last couple years it would depend on the group I think what group Italy gets for Euro 2020 is really going to determine a lot because I think for the Euro 2020 qualifications because there's no host nation, I believe it's going to be uh, 10 groups, and I think the top two teams in each group would make it because from Euro 2020 qualification, we are going to get 20 of the 24 teams qualifying. But Italy would need it. I think at this point, Italy's in a position where the only way they're really qualifying through Euro 2020 is getting an easy draw. And right now, they are not in a good position to have that second chance of making a playoff um, for UEFA Nations League, and they could be playing some League B teams. That whole thing's a little complicated, but um, when we get when we cross that bridge, we'll get there as we um, approach 2019. But Italy was the the team in League A uh, Group Three that played two games to start, and they didn't win one of them. So they've already finished half of their schedule. They get to play um, uh, Poland again. They need to play Portugal again at home. So. They need to win at least one of those matches to first ensure safety in Ligue a and not get relegated and maybe have that second chance. Because if, let's say, Portugal finishes first in the group and they qualify for Euro 2020, which we fully expect, Italy is the next team up. So it's not just the fact that these teams need to win their games in the Nations League. They also need the teams that finish above them to do well in Euro 2020. So you're starting to root for your rivals. In the case of Italy, if they came in second in league in Group 3 and Portugal came in first, they would need Portugal to qualify to have any chance of potentially playing in the playoff. Yeah, I mean, it's a slightly complicated system, but I'm certain when we get to the you know European qualifications and we see how it all plays out, it's actually going to be a lot simpler. But uh, before we move on from the Nations League to other international friendlies and other international games, I want to ask you, uh, you watched probably a lot of Nations League games as I did. 
Who would you think in Europe was the most impressive team and the team that came out with the most, I would say, fanfare and praise? Mm, I would say Spain, only because League A is the, the flashy one. It's the top league. Credit to Ukraine under Andrei Shevchenko getting two wins against the Czech Republic and Slovakia. They look great. Probably going to get promoted to League A for the 2020-21 season. But I would say Spain's the most impressive. And I think just looking at the squad that Luis Enrique picked, I'm sure Spanish fans like you, Esteban, are thinking to yourself, why in the hell did we not take this squad to Russia? Spain could have easily beaten a Russian side. By the way, Russia's playing really well too still. But I think Spain, with this team, you bring in Marcus Alonso. You've got Asensio and Isco with more of an advanced role. Rodrigo is playing as the ninth guy in the as the as the number nine. Spain looked great, beating two World Cup finalists in just a few days and scoring six goals against a World Cup runner-up who have potentially the Ballon d'Or winner in Luka Modric, who played in the game. Croatia did bench a lot of their stars, but Spain won 6-0. You can't take that away from them. And beating England in Wembley, an important, important victory. But they got a little bit lucky. That last Danny Welbeck goal should have been a goal. It's not a foul on him. It was more of a foul on De Gea. But Spain is the only Ligue A team that has that won their first two games, the only team with six points. France has four, Switzerland and Portugal and Belgium each getting wins too. But I would say Spain was the most impressive team. Yeah, I was very impressed by Spain. I thought uh, Luis Enrique was a really good choice for the squad. I think he's going to be able to implement a more direct style and a more, uh, not a more attacking, but at least instead of having possession and making a thousand passes without making a pass in the final third, he, his teams, as we saw with Barcelona when they won the treble in 2015, is Barcelona's team still had the DNA of Barcelona, which is passing in the 4-3-3. However, he was he made sure that the team was very good on the counterattack and that the you know it was forward passing try not to go too far back try to keep going forward and you know get down the other team's throat and i thought he was i thought that team played exceptionally well against croatia of course i mean croatia just felt like they weren't playing and they didn't even want to play which i mean you know i i think it's okay Croatia might get relegated from this group, but they made it to the you know World Cup final and they were pretty close to winning it. I mean, the scoreline doesn't really reflect that, but uh, it, it, you know, I thought I thought Spain was great, and I I also want to give a little shout out to England. I thought uh, in their one Nations League match against Spain, I thought they played pretty well. Uh, of course, they were kind of dominated in the midfield, and it's it's pretty clear that this England squad, this current England squad, is very talented, and they have a lot of good players, and they're more or less defensively solid, but they really don't have that kind of creative midfielder that's going to be able to kind of help dictate the play and really dominate against the larger countries. They can easily beat teams like Switzerland or Sweden or any of these mid-level kind of teams. Like, they're never going to have... With this current team, I don't think they're ever going to have a struggle against the United States like, you know, the golden generation did in 2010. It's This is a team that could really beat almost any other team except the elite countries. And I'm very curious to see if they can change that in the future. I thought they played well. I thought they should have tied against Spain. And I and this was me thinking that Spain played it really, really well in that game. Um, but I, I don't know. I, definitely Spain is going to, I think Spain's going to get promoted uh, or not promoted. They're going to make it into the semifinals of the Nations League, which is going to be great. Um, if you had to think about it right now, who you think are who do you think are going to be the four teams to come out 
uh, in Group A and play in the semifinals of the Nations League competition. Mm, in League A, so I would put I would pick France to finish first in Group One. I would go with Belgium in Group Two. Belgium is just amazing under Roberto Martinez. Switzerland is going to be uh, close with them. Big game between Belgium and Switzerland uh, in match day three in Belgium. But I think it would be France, Belgium. I think Portugal will finish first. You've got Ruben Neves and Andre Silva playing well. Even without Ronaldo, Portugal beating Italy, that's a positive. And just based on the position that Spain is in, I don't expect England or Croatia to win three all, all three of their next three games. They need to play Spain again. They each have to play each other twice. Spain's in a position where if they draw or win one more game, they are probably going to finish it first. So I would go with give me France and Belgium, and then give me the Iberian sides, Portugal and Spain, which would make uh, quite a semifinal for the first ever Nations League. Oh, yeah, that seems like a pretty fun one. I thought France played pretty well as well. Um, their Germany game was a little bit of a, you know, it lacked a little intensity, which was, I, I guess, not surprising considering, you know, France won the World Cup. They don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure they don't really feel like they need to do anything more than just do some fancy flicks. But, uh, and Germany was not that impressive either. Uh, a couple great saves by Areola in that game, though. But, uh, you know, the, the French are, are good. I think they're going to make it through. I think the Dutch are unfortunate to be put in this group because they're still in a rebuilding process. And they have a lot of talented young players, maybe not in the attack so much, but they have an all across the field where in the defense especially they have a lot of interesting players there um, and I think they're just a couple years away from being a really really good team but I think they're going to get relegated Iceland it's clear that Iceland is overmatched and this is probably the beginning of the downfall for the Icelandic national team of course their peak being in 2016 when they beat England and you know it's been a couple years now their players are getting older they're not as influential teams kind of know how to play against Iceland um, and you know Belgium and Switzerland really dominated their games against them and it's clear that Iceland probably going to get relegated well they're Croatia, also they're also playing yeah, quality no. they're playing quality teams when's the last time you saw iceland play maybe five or six consecutive games against really good opposition they had a really tough world cup group and then they go up against switzerland and belgium give up nine goals yeah it happened you know i mean we should have seen this coming but i don't think a lot of people had a lot of high hopes towards Iceland. But anyways, it, it, this is the point of the Nations League. It's to have these kind of competitions and these kind of games where you have high-level opposition playing against high-level opposition. So I'm really excited for it. It's going to be, I think this is going to be great. But let's move on to talk a little bit about some other internationals, specifically about the country that we live in, the United States. They played against Brazil and they played against Mexico. Uh, they lost against Brazil 2-0 and they beat Mexico last night on 9-11. 1-0, Tyler Adams scoring the lone goal. There was a red card against Mexico. Ori, what did you think about the United States men's national team? Obviously, we have different expectations because they missed the World Cup, and this is a rebuilding phase. But what did you think about the performances? Were there any players that you thought stood out? And how, how do you feel about the program so far? Um, I feel okay about it. I just think they need a manager. They need a leader. We need to have, once you put a manager in place, then we can really get to work because the U.S. has some young guys that are really talented. I'm looking at Zach Steffen, a Columbus Crew goalkeeper. He can be an excellent keeper for the national team for many, many years. Turn into the next Tim Howard, the next Brad Friedel, the next Casey Keller, whichever is your whoever is your favorite American goalkeeper. Uh, Weston McKenney was pretty good. Tyler Adams getting that goal. What a moment for him at 19 to beat Mexico in Nashville, uh, commemorating 9-11, an incredible day for him. Uh, for the United States. Big win uh, in the 68th meeting between the United States and Mexico after losing in Columbus two years ago. That was the last time they played in the U.S. Um, but tangents aside, I just think they need a manager. Once the U.S. gets a manager, they can really get to work, focus, and I think the USA is in a position where the squad is talented enough 
to win the gold cup and keep their title. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm not, uh, what I, my main takeaway, beside the fact that you're totally right, we do need a manager to come into the squad and actually give, a, give us an identity beside just the grit and, you know, the typical kind of superlatives that you give to the United States men's national team. But I will say this, um, my one concern about this squad, and I know Christian Pulisic was not in either game because um, of an injury. However, I am worried a little bit about creativity in the midfield. Um, Brazil, it's Brazil. They played their full strength uh, starting 11, and they completely dominated us in the midfield. Um, they had as many chances as they possibly could have. The scoreline 2-0 was pretty nice to us, frankly. We weren't really able to create anything in the final third except from some set pieces. Um, it, was, it was kind of a tough game to watch. And you could say the same thing about the Mexico game in the first half. There was no creativity. Um, there wasn't a lot of in, in imagination. It was, it, was, you know, it was just basically kick the long ball and see if Giassi's artists can you know, get a touch on it and maybe get in on goal. But that's not really a strategy that's going to work in international level football. And I'm a little worried that we might be too dependent on Christian Pulisic to create in the middle of the park. Um, and that worries me because, as we saw in qualifying, teams are going to start targeting him. And they're going to try to injure him. They're going to try to kick him around. And if he gets hurt, we don't really have a plan B or anybody who can really kind of create in the middle of the park. We have great defensive midfielders. I think we have great defenders. I think Anthony Robinson, even though he was at fault for the first Brazilian goal, um, I thought he played excellently against Mexico in the second half. I think he has a re he's a real talent, and we should really nurture him and try to give him as many as much starts as possible. DeAndre Yedlin is a great player, and you know Shaq Moore, he's he's okay. He's a good backup. Uh, Lashage as well from Nottingham Forest, or yeah, I think he still plays in Nottingham Forest. He's still pretty good. Um, Tyler Adams is great. Weston McKinney is very good. Will Trap, I'm not really excited about. Um, and our strikers are really great. Timothy Weah, he had kind of a, he was a little, uh, he, he kind of disappeared at times, but he still has a lot of quality. Bobby Wood is a good player. Uh, even if he comes off the bench, he's still a decent player that can maybe get some chances. Josh Sargent, we've seen him in the Bundesliga too, where he's been very, you know, he's he's knocking on the door to start a Werder Bremen. I'm just worried about the middle of the park. Do you know, is there any prospect that you think might be able to help the men's national team in the middle of the field? Or, you know, is this just, we're going to have to let Pulisic create and then see what we can do? Uh, it doesn't just have to be Pulisic. I think McKenney can develop into a creative player. I mean, Will Trapp is a holding midfielder. That's just what he is because Higuain takes the creative duties away from him in Columbus, and he is the more creative player. I also think that Timothy Weah, maybe not don't play him necessarily at striker, maybe move him to a camp position, have Pulisic on the wing, maybe get Bobby Wood up top so that way you have a little bit more strength. That's kind of the more traditional U.S. setup you want to have. You don't want to put maybe you uh, your fastest guy beh behind on the striker, like you had Donovan play in behind Dempsey, or you had uh, maybe... Uh, Hercules Gomez up top, Josie Altador, stronger guy. So maybe putting Bobby Wood up top, get a stronger presence in there might be the better move because you can make way into more of play him in a little bit of a deeper role, not too deep. But the squad, I think, is the way what we're seeing now, I think, is very similar to what we are going to see at the Gold Cup in 2019. Because realistically, if the U.S. doesn't win the Gold Cup, it's not the end of the world. If Mexico could win it, give Jamaica a title, Costa Rica, fine. We didn't make the World Cup last year. I don't expect us to dominate the Gold Cup. If we won it but didn't dominate it, fine. Even if we don't win it, okay. Just take the, the stepping stones. Maybe play well in the CONCACAF Nations League. If the, Is the U.S. even competing in it, or is it just for the smaller teams? 
No, it's just for the smaller teams so right smaller now. Teams. Yeah, to qualify for the Gold Cup. Like, you know, Puerto Rico right. was playing St. Kitts and Nevis, and they lost. But St. Kitts and Nevis now has an opportunity to maybe make the Gold Cup, just like Canada and just like a bunch of other teams, U.S. Virgin Islands, okay, et cetera. Okay, so they don't have that competition going on. But I think the squad is similar. If we don't win the Gold Cup, fine. It would be nice to win it. Focus on winning it 2021. Got to win it in 2021, at least in this four-year span. And potentially qualify for the confederations cup i think that's going to be really important because who knows if fifa is going to keep the confederations cup because they've been saying they want to potentially get rid of it or they want to put it in a different nation or replace it with a bigger club world cup we don't know but if you can make the confederations cup win one gold cup and qualify for the world cup i think that's incredible progress at least qualify and maybe win one tournament or get to the final in one yeah, I think I have high hopes for the Gold Cup. I hope that the new manager, which we're going to talk about in a second, but uh, I really hope that the United States sends a younger team, a European-based team, that Sargent, Weah, and Pulisic can be the front three. Tyler Adams, McKinney can be right behind them. And then you have Miazga, and you have John Brooks, and you've got Cameron Carter-Vickers with Yedlin and um, uh, Anthony Robinson on the wings. Uh, Stefan, I think, is great. I think we have a lot of talent. I'm worried about depth, and I'm worried about creativity, but... I think this team is, they need to start young. They need to play younger players. They need to play players that are playing in Europe more so than they're playing in uh, MLS. It's not to say that MLS players aren't talented or that they can't compete at an international level, but it's just, I would prefer more European-based players. I think we need more technical skill in order to dominate CONCACAF a little easier. But uh, before we move on to the, you know, predictions for next, you know, for the club season and all the rest of that, I want to ask you right now, who would you want as a U.S. MNT manager? Uh, Osorio just took the job at Paraguay, so he's out of the running. There's a lot of coaches that have already taken some positions. So right now, who's your number one uh, choice? Oh, that's it's such a tough question because there's so many guys out there that have either been signed. Maybe the U.S. takes a Wales or a Ukraine out of the book and maybe gets a former great player to be their manager. Giggs, the manager of Wales, Shevchenko, the manager of Ukraine. Maybe get, I don't know, I don't think Donovan would be the manager, but maybe get an older player who, like Brad Friedel. Brad Friedel's managing New England Revolution. They're not good in the MLS, but maybe give him an opportunity. The thing is, it's just, I don't know. I don't know who they're looking at. I don't know who would fit the description, that who, what they want. And because, like, Arsene Wenger is not going to be the U.S. manager. That's unrealistic. Yeah. You're not going to get someone from the Premier League. You're not going to get someone from the Bundesliga. So I just don't know, Esteban, honestly. I can't answer that question. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, it's difficult, especially because I, if, you know, if I had to choose, I would have probably picked Osorio. I thought he was really great with Mexico, and I think he's going to do a great job with Paraguay. But uh, honestly, if I had to pick, honestly, I would either go with... I would go with Tata Martino from Atlanta United. He's coached at Barcelona. He's coached uh, in South America. He's a really talented coach. He's been really great for Atlanta United. They have such an awesome style of football. It's pressing. It's modern. It's sleek. I love watching them play. I think our players would fit really well into his system. I think he'd be really, really good as a coach. And hopefully, you know, um, after this, you know, the Atlanta United season ends, maybe he'll be tempted with a much more higher paying job and a higher profile job with the USMNT and if maybe we can give him the same kind of freedom that he has over at 
reunited, um, maybe he could do the same kind of magic. But uh, it's tough. You're right, though. It's really tough to know which guy is going to be the right choice for the USMNT. Because honestly, I think at this point, we're probably going to be disappointed with the result and who they eventually pick. Tata's good. It's Right now, he's linked with the Argentina job. So between the, uh, the Argentina job, the U.S. job, Coach Messi, Coach Pulisic, we're picking Pulisic. No, you're picking Messi. If Tata has the choice between Argentina and the U.S. job, the U.S. should offer him because Atlanta United is by far the best team in the MLS and are the favorites to win the MLS Cup in December. But Tata Martino could be the coach of Argentina. And if he can do with Atlanta United, if he can do with Argentina what he did with Atlanta United... Argentina would then finally be unstoppable and take advantage of those final years you have Lionel Messi and all those incredible attackers and actually score some freaking goals. So I think Tata, more likely Argentina manager, but he would that's a good pick from you potentially for the U.S. job. I mean that that's the hope. Uh, we're, obviously, that's probably unlikely, but you know there might. There's also other play, uh, other people involved, like Jesse Marsh, who's currently an assistant at RB Leipzig. Um, I know there's Tab Ramos, who's a U20 coach. You got Peter Verms at uh, Can, you know at Sporting Kansas City. Um, there's a lot of choices out there, but I'm not sure we're gonna make the right one. Uh, hopefully, Ernie Stewart, who's now the the GM of the USMNT, can make the right choice, and hopefully, it can be unlike the disaster that we had under Klinsman and. And uh, Bruce Arena. But uh, let's move on. This was the international break. Let's conclude it. It was fun. I think it's going to be, you know, it's, the future looks bright for the international break, better than in recent years, which is really nice to say. Hopefully, that in October we can keep this momentum. But uh, before we get into making our picks for the English Premier League this weekend, which finally comes back and it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, we also have the first week of the Champions League next week. Now, we're going to get into a bigger preview about that next Sunday, uh, which is our big preview for the Champions League. But I want to ask you, uh, next week, Liverpool is playing PSG mm. in Anfield. Amazing game. How, it's, how excited are you for that? I can't wait to watch it. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to watch Liverpool play PSG. I need to double check what time it is. So it's not in the middle of my 6 p.m. class. I need to do that right now because I'm just in the zone where I want to sit and watch the two best front threes on the planet play each other. I don't know who I would pick. I think Sunday I'll be a little more prepared to actually make a prediction. And I'm sure I'll ask you to make a prediction too on Sunday. But I just need to see what time this game is going to be. Oh, wait, it's on Tuesday. Never mind. I don't have class at 6 p.m. It's a 2 p.m. Central time game. Um, so that's easily the best game of the weekend. Yeah, can't wait to see it. Inter v. Tottenham is going to be a good game. Madrid against Roma. Those are sort of the standouts. Monaco against Atletico. Benfica versus Bayern. Some of the standout games. But, oh, my God, Liverpool PSG. Two favorites to win this competition in the same group. I mean, I cannot wait to see Kylian Mbappé play in England, play against Liverpool to see if he can wow those English supporters who are always a little more cynical when it comes to superstars that are not playing in England. And I'm extremely excited to see how PSG's attack will face against Liverpool's newly vaunted defense and how Liverpool is going to be able to attack uh, you know, Neymar and how they're going to be able to attack Cavani and all these other petite players. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. That's honestly probably the best game uh, of, of in September, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. But uh, Liverpool has had a great season, and I wanted to talk about that because it's interesting that they're when we're, we're going to start talking about the EPL predictions right now because this Saturday, it's not like they have an easy game before their Champions League uh, game against PSG. They're going to have to go to North London and face Tottenham in the first game of the weekend, Tottenham versus Liverpool. It's going to be probably one of the best games of the weekend. It's, you know, it's going to be the earliest game on Saturday, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time. 
Um, I'm really excited for it. Tottenham had a kind of a weak way to end the first uh, four weeks of their season. They are, they lost to Watford, obviously. Harry Kane is going to be going against Liverpool once again. Let me ask you, Ori, how confident are you as a Liverpool fan against Tottenham, and what's your prediction? I'm pretty confident uh, about Liverpool in this game, but I think that Tottenham is going to roar back with a vengeance after losing that game against Watford. That was a tough loss for them. Liverpool's perfect. They're going to want to beat them. They're still playing at Wembley. This game was initially scheduled to be the grand opening of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but it is not meant to be. They are going to play at Wembley, and Tottenham had some uh, okay performances during the international break. None of their English stars were really superior. It was mainly the Manchester United guys, Luke Shaw getting that assist to Marcus Rashford against Spain, but I think Tottenham can bounce back with a good performance, and I'm actually going to pick a tie. I think Liverpool will stay on beaten but i think this is where the winning streak ends because tottenham at wembley is getting better one one draw that's a not so brave pick and i'm gonna go with a brave pick i honestly think that tottenham has had a kind of a couple bad weeks uh, i think even though lucas mora has been kind of a revelation this season i do think that some of their players are not playing at the highest level especially especially in the defense um tottenham has been you know that waffer game was not like terrible for them but it was clear that Maybe their legs are getting a little heavy. Uh, the international break is not necessarily going to help that because England had to play two tough teams in Spain and Switzerland. Um, I'm going to go with Liverpool winning 3-1. I think Liverpool is going to come back with a vengeance. It's always hard to play against Liverpool after an international break when they have a little bit of time to you know, refocus and reset up. Plus, Liverpool plays very well against top six sides. Um, last season, they had some great games against Tottenham, of course. Uh, they didn't win both games. But I still think to- Liverpool, is they're on the march to win the title this year. And if they're going to truly, truly have a chance to win the title, they have to beat their top six opponents on the road. And I think they're going to and I think they're going to beat Tottenham 3-1 but uh, let's move on to the 10 a.m. games on the eastern coast Um, Newcastle versus Arsenal Arsenal of course the defensive shambolics uh, team they're so terrible at defense but they have one of the best attacks in England Uh, Newcastle United has had a pretty rough start to the season which is slightly not really that surprising but they've had to play a lot of tough teams they haven't really gotten a lot of results they've changed their system they've changed their formation several times none of their new signings have really caught on quite yet but as we saw with Arsenal against Cardiff City if you're struggling to score goals just play Arsenal and you'll see how how much that improves so what's your score line for this this game. I think Arsenal will keep a clean sheet. I think they win 2 nothing. I think their attack is going to play well once again. Newcastle's proving that they might not be a top 10 side this year. They just need Joselu and Rondon to consistently be scoring, but their midfield, Shelby's just not doing it for them right now. Defensively, they've had some injuries and they have not been good at the back. They have played a bunch of top six sides to start the season, and they've lost 2-1 to pretty much all of them. Their last game, a 2-1 loss to City because Kyle Walker scored the goal of the season thus far. But I think this is the game where they don't score, and I think Arsenal keep a clean sheet, 2-0. I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw. I am not confident in Arsenal's ability. What's with you being so pessimistic, man? Are you kidding me? Because Arsenal gave up two goals to Cardiff City. I mean, like, they gave up two goals on two chances. Cardiff has more points than Newcastle. So what? 
Listen, Cardiff City hasn't had to play the level of opposition that Newcastle's had to. Newcastle has a lot of talent. They're going to be playing in Newcastle. Arsenal has always been had trouble on the road for the last couple of years. Um, Newcastle beat them last season with Aubameyang and Lacazette. Um, it's not... John Joe Shelby always plays well against Arsenal. He played well against someone he was at Swansea City. He just knows how to rip apart the Arsenal defense. I honestly think that Newcastle is going to get out to a, like a 2-0 lead by the, first, by the end of the first half, but Arsenal is going to come back, get a draw, and that'll be the end of that. It's just Arsenal's really poor in the defense, and I, I don't there I do not expect Arsenal to get a clean sheet anytime soon. They'll have to play a team on a really, really bad day before they are able to do that. But yeah, I still think 2-2 draw. I hope to be wrong, but Arsenal's really bad in defense, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time before they can really really start to click into gear, and it's not going to happen after the first international break. But let's move on to Chelsea versus Cardiff City. Uh, this is a kind of interesting game. Cardiff had a pretty good game against Arsenal. Chelsea has been one of the best teams in England uh, through the first four weeks of the season. I think this is a pretty straightforward result, but what do you, what do you think? I think Chelsea, straightforward result. I think you're right. 3 nothing win. They're going to stay perfect. I think their team's playing really well. I think we'll maybe see Marathon and Giroud pick up some goals in this game. Maybe one of them gets a brace, but I think Chelsea wins 3-0. I think Chelsea wins 2-0. Um, I think Cardiff will at least frustrate them just a little bit. Not too much. I think Chelsea will get a professional victory. But, uh, yeah, Cardiff City wasn't that impressive in terms of just watching them play. But I still think they'll probably be able to frustrate Chelsea just a little bit. But uh, let's move on to Huddersfield Town versus Crystal Palace. Important note, Wilfred Zaha is coming back for Crystal Palace. So clearly they're going to be a completely different team uh, than the team that lost 2-0 to Southampton before the international break. But uh, what is your result? What do you got? If Zaha and Benteke were on the same page and Benteke was actually scoring goals, then I would say Crystal Palace wins this one maybe 2 or 3 nothing. But that's not the case. So I think they get one goal, win 1-0. Huddersfield is just not a team that can score goals. Yeah, I'm almost in agreement with you. I think Palace wins 2-1. Uh, I think maybe I think Zaha will get on the score sheet or he'll at least get an, get an assist. But Huddersfield Town, I think they'll get one goal. Crystal Palace's defense has been a little shaky to start the season, so I think they'll maybe nick one in on a set piece. But, yeah, I still think Palace is going to eat this one out. It won't be too easy, but I, I still think they'll be able to do it. Um, this should be one of the more fun games of the, of the weekend. Manchester City versus Fulham. What's your scoreline? Fulham has been uh, pretty good over the past few weeks, but they are playing against the champions, and the champions are at home for the second match day in a row. Manchester City 3, Fulham nil. Ooh, I'm going Manchester City 3, Fulham 1. I think Fulham will at least get a goal. I think Mitrovic has been very good, but uh, you're right. Manchester City is going to, I think they're going to pretty easily beat Fulham. Uh, Manchester City, they need, they, the teams that they're going to beat them are the teams that press, and Fulham is not a team that presses. They're a team that possesses, so I don't think it's going to work out for them as well as they probably hope, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. I think it'll still be a fun game. Uh, might be close until the end when Manchester City scores two goals pretty quickly, but... Uh, all right, now this is what I think is going to be the game of the weekend. Bournemouth versus Leicester City, two high-flying teams, attacking, attacking-minded teams, a lot of creative midfielders, a lot of interesting attackers. Um, I think this is going to be a great game. It's going to be played in Bournemouth, which always is the place of crazy results. But uh, what do you got? What's your scoreline? 0-0. Zero, zero. That's insane. You're insane to think that this is going to be a 0-0 zero, zero draw. But it's constant. These things happen. High-flying teams score goals. Throw it out the window. They're not scoring. It's going to finish scoreless. That's my out there prediction. That's pretty out there. I am going with a 3-2 Bournemouth victory. 
Um, I think it's going to be entertaining to from minute one. Uh, zero zero is a shock to me. I, I mean, this is a definitely a, either going. To, this is either going to be three two or zero zero. Clearly, because I, I cannot imagine an in between right now. I need to is, get the games right, man. I gotta go with something out of the box. This is my out of the box. Bournemouth Leicester's going to be a snooze. <laughs> well, I certainly hope you're wrong. I want to enjoy my my soccer on Saturday. But uh, all right, let's move on to the final game on Saturday: Watford versus Manchester United. Uh, this is going to be a pretty interesting game. Watford passed their first test against a big six opponent when they beat Tottenham right before the international break. Ori, what's your scoreline? <sighs> I so want to pick Watford to win, but I can't. I'm picking United 2-1. I think Man U, Lukaku getting some goals for Belgium during the international break. I believe he got braces against Scotland in the friendly and against Iceland in the Nations League game. So he's warm. I think he's continues his goal-scoring form. He did have a brace for United against Burnley. So Lukaku's had three braces in his last three games. Very impressive goal-scoring streak for the big Belgians. So I think he's going to keep that up against Watford. And this is the game where they finally don't win. So United back on track. I think you're right. I actually wanted to pick Manchester United. I, my initial thought was that they're going to win 2 nothing because I think Lukaku is on form. I think Rashford is on form. He scored in both games in the international break. Um, but I'm actually going to go with a 1-1 draw. And the only reason I'm going to do that is because I think even though it's past the international break and Watford should theoretically go back down to a level that they're more likely to be in, they still have a really good defense. Manchester United hasn't really shown that they can break down strong defenses. Um, they have a lot of creative players, but they're not really given the license to be creative under Mourinho. So, and I think this could lead to even more Mourinho out talk. Um, so I'm going to go with a 1-1. I'd rather be brave than just pick United winning again, although I do kind of feel that they are going to win again. Um, let's move on to Sunday. Wolverhampton versus Burnley. This should be an interesting game, but... I don't expect an exciting game. Uh, what's your scoreline? I expect an exciting game. I think Wolves are going to win 3-1. to one. Burnley has proven that they might have the worst defense in England. And I think Wolves come out of their shell a little bit, score some goals. They've been, been, they've been performing really well. Five points in their first four games. Late winner against West Ham. I think they get three against Burnley at home. I think Wolverhampton is also going to win but I'm going to say 2-1. I think Burnley is going to be a little more improved. Um, they had an entire international break. Most of their players are not internationals, with the except of, ex, you know, exception of Jeff Hendricks, et cetera. But uh, they don't really have a lot of international players, so I think they're going to get this week off, and they're going to be refreshed and ready to go. You know, a lot of the Wolverhampton players are playing for Portugal or for other, you know, European teams, so they might not be as fresh as the Burnley players. It might be kind of a back and forth early, but I still think Wolverhampton's going to win 2-1, not 3-1. I think Bur this is the start when Burnley is really going to start improving and eventually get back into non-relegation territory, which is where they have been for the last couple games. Um, this is maybe, this is potentially one of the games of the weekend, if only for drama, because Everton versus West Ham has the potential to be a very drama-filled game. Everton has had, I think, two or three red cards to start the season. West Ham has not, uh, they have not won a match after spending so much money over the summer for the second straight season. Both fan bases are probably... You know, West Ham definitely, they're very uh, anxious to finally get some points and get out of the relegation zone while Everton is dealing with a ton of injuries and Richarlison is not going to be able to play because of his suspension. Um, I, don't ex I don't expect a high-scoring game, but I expect something pretty interesting. What do you got? What's your scoreline? I think West Ham finally get a point because this is a do-or-die game for Pellegrini's job. 
tough next three games for West Ham. I'll count this one as one of them. But after they go to Goodison Park on Sunday, they got to host Chelsea and Man United. And if West Ham, who would likely would probably lose against Chelsea and Man United, even preseason, we probably would have predicted that before they were terrible and not playing well. West Ham need a win or a draw in this game to save Pellegrini's job because against Chelsea and Man United, like I said, they were probably going to lose. Pellegrini could get fired after the first seven games of the season. So too much at stake for West Ham. I think they get a point. I think Everton just has a little bit too much aggressiveness. They're getting the Reds. Um, Richarlison uh, is not playing. So I'll take the one I'll draw. I think Everton is going to struggle again after tying against Huddersfield two weeks ago. I also think Everton's going to struggle, but I'm going to go with a West Ham victory. I think they're going to win their first game of the season, one nothing. I think Everton just has too many injuries to deal with. Their attack is a little stilted. They weren't able to create him a lot against Huddersfield, which doesn't, you know, it might bode well for West Ham, who might be able to beat them on the counterattack or at least have more creative players that can attack their kind of weak defense. Um, but I'm going to go with a West Ham win, finally getting Pellegrini's his first three points with the Hammers. I don't think he's going to get fired after seven games, unless, of course, he loses the next three, and then he'll probably get fired. But I still think they're going to be able to perform well in this game and really take it to the toffees. So. But the final game, a Monday night game, uh, probably the most boring game on the slate, to be honest. Uh, Southampton versus Brighton in Southampton. What's your scoreline? I think Southampton is finding their stride a little bit. Big win against Crystal Palace two weeks back. They're starting to pick up uh, some points here and there. I think they're going to beat Brighton 2-0. I think Alex McCarthy is developing into one of the best goalkeepers in the league. He's starting to get some clean sheets. He's gaining some confidence. He's making good saves. He had a really great game against Crystal Palace. Um, For me, he was the best goalkeeper in match day four. Brighton, after the win against United, that's really their high. I mean, they came back against Fulham 2-2, but let's face it, it was a penalty that tied the game for them on a handball in the box, or I think it was actually a foul, but it's been so long. Forget some of the things that happened, but Southampton wins, man, 2-0. I'm going to go also with the Southampton win. I just don't trust Brighton on the road. I wouldn't bet it for Brighton at all to get any realistic big wins or big points on the road this season. They're just such a great home team, as we saw last time when they played Fulham. But I'm going to go with a 2-1 victory for Southampton. Um, I think Charlie Austin and uh, Danny Ings have been awesome for that team. I think they've really started to gel as a get an identity, which is a more classical British team, which is pretty, you know, it, it makes sense since they have Mark Hughes as their coach, but it's different from previous Southamptons of yesteryears. But uh, I still think Southampton is going to win. Brighton, I still think they're going to get a goal. Uh, Ali Reza hasn't really come on yet, and he might get his first goal or his first, you know, do something really special in this game. Iskerdo is still yet to really do anything uh, this season. So I'd be curious. I think they'll be able to put up a fight, and it's a night game, and it's Monday night, and there's always kind of crazy results on those days. But I still think Southampton's going to win. But uh, that's, you know, that's match week. That's match day five. Um, pretty interesting slate. I mean, it's this is really just interesting in a kind of a holding pattern before we get into the championship. League next week, which we're going to talk about on Sunday. Uh, we're going to talk about you know the results from the previous weekend. We're going to talk about the Champions League, and we're going to talk about whatever we want to talk about because this is our podcast and this is what we do. But uh, you got any final thoughts before we go away? Um, just looking forward to watching some Premier League again. Tottenham Liverpool. I don't think it's going to be as open as people say. Usually, there's been some goals in this game. They played uh, a really great game last time. They took the field together, but. This is really going to be the two months for Liverpool. 
that determines whether or not they are worthy of being not just a Premier League winner, but a Champions League winner. They get to play Tottenham. They get to play PSG. They get to play Chelsea two weeks, two and twice in a week because they play them in the league and then they get to play them in the in the Carabao Cup and then they play Man City and they have another Champions League game before that. So this is the two months or the month and a half that will prove if Liverpool's up to the task of winning some big trophies this season. I think you're 100% correct. Um, there's going to be, there's a lot of stakes uh, with this Liverpool team, especially if they're really going to challenge Manchester City for the title. But that's it for here. That's it for us at the Top Flight Podcast. Be sure to come back on Sunday when we talk about everything that happened in the weekend. But uh, thank you for listening. Keep on listening. Keep on sharing. Do whatever you want to do with it. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.